We'd been enjoying Wonder Woman's stories lately, but it was hard for us to be happy with how horrifying Diana's paramours had become. Steve Trevor had gone from father knows best to an entitled asshole, and even Merman was having some rough outings. As we prepared for our last day with Wonder Woman before moving on to 1964, we had to wonder, how many stories would Steve Trevor ruin this time? Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. So, we're doing Wonder Woman again today, and I gotta say, there are a couple stories in here that I actually genuinely liked. There, there is the usual gaggle of Wonder Family shenanigans that we run into, which we have noticed more often than not. Uh, Angle Man makes a reappearance, as does Multiple Man. Though, I gotta bring this up to start, and I, I didn't bring it up last time, but I, I've only really now clocked it. Multiple Man hasn't been talking. I... Huh. I guess you're right. Which is really that. weird. And not in a, like, he has such a defined voice in the history of all DC comics. It's more just, uh, for a villain that shows up, I want to say, twice a year, every year for the last, like, three years, he hasn't really said anything since his first appearance. I guess that's true. It it doesn't feel wrong to me and i think that's why we didn't call it out last time uh, i certainly didn't clock that fact he is i mean if you wanted to be schlocky about it he is an elemental character he is a force of nature uh but yeah it is right. a little bit odd that he is consistently the most re recurring villain like i think both especially in terms of page count, because per I think every time he shows up, it is a full issue devoted to him. But yeah, it is a little weird. For for the most recurring villain for Wonder Woman in the last four years of the 60s, for him to not really have a very clear motivation as to why he keeps trying to mess up Wonder Woman and her family, it's very strange. You know, there's a difference between, let's say, uh, Chemo, the living monster monstrosity from uh, the Metal Men that's like the giant like vat of chemical liquids that was given sentience that they fight. That's a monster. That's a kaiju. Multiple Man like has a face and an outfit and is constantly trying to destroy Paradise Island. He's got something he's trying to do, but he never talks about it. And... It doesn't feel like he has an especially, like, enraged look. It's, I just made this connection. He feels like one of the titans in Attack on Titan, and not like one mm. of the, the big titans. I, I, it's been so long since I've seen that. I don't feel a strong need to see it. I don't remember the name for the special titans, but just one of the, huh, here's a person. I'm going to eat that person. One of those. Yeah. He, feel, he feels very uh, not driven. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is just what he's chosen to do today. And it's very strange that this is the thing that he keeps choosing to do. Um, it's not. I mean, I got to tell you, Multiple Man doesn't really ring any bells when I think of my, you know, pantheon of DC villain history. Um, he doesn't stand out much more than, I don't know, let's say Kite Man or the Condiment King might. But the fact that he's appeared this frequently is I think worth noting and also how lackluster he is for a character that re that continues to appear most frequently. I would say 
the Lex Luthor type character that Wonder Woman continues to deal with on a regular basis that we have a motive for is Angleman, which I is bizarre that of all the characters of whom I've never heard of, this guy keeps getting center billing and frequent recurrences and lots of dialogue. So it's just it's worth noting that Wonder Woman's rogues gallery is pretty much non-existent when we think of like when we started out with like Mars and the Duke of Deception yeah. and uh, Dr. Poison. She had and uh, uh, the Baroness or what's her face? The Baroness Duchess? Uh, I want to say Countess? Baroness, but maybe I'm thinking of the Cobra. G.I. Joe. Yeah. yeah. Um, she was there. There was the 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 elite bourgeois woman who fought her in the golden age. I'm sure if we look back on our notes, we would remember, but she had recurring villains mm -hmm. in this. She has multiple man and angle man. And frankly, Steve and Merboy. Yes. We'll talk about that. There's, there's one thing that stood out to me about multiple man that I want to touch on before we move away. And that's that, to some degree, it feels like he exemplifies some of the trends I don't like, but also some of the well-executed portions of the Silver Age. And here I'm talking about the Silver Age in, like, this form rather than the Silver Age of Hal Jordan or The Flash. Uh, there is so little grounding behind uh, Multiple Man. We've talked about how it he just does this. Uh, there's no, like, motivation. But even beyond that, it's just... He's just there. It, there's no scene of him like arising from when wherever he was last entombed or anything. There's no where was Luther before this. Oh, now he's breaking out of jail. He's just there. Uh, he is a fiat villain in that sense, maybe that he just in Act One. Everything about his appearance in Act One is okay. He's just here. But then everything about how he's resolved, everything about the solutions to each stage of his manifestation is generally, I don't know about well thought out, but it makes sense. It's, it's fairly complex. E even beyond com complex, it's, I mean, twice they use the giant icicle versus flaming meteors, and then it's just a question of which side of the equation yeah. uh, multiple man is on. Uh, but... It always feels like, okay, I understand this isn't the solutions to the challenges he posed aren't product of plot. It, okay, yeah, this makes sense. And to me, that kind of exemplifies this, the Silver Age as we experience it in its majority of, well, this fits together. It doesn't come out of somewhere interesting, but at least it holds together well. So I think, it's, I think it is important for us to start at least acknowledging that mm -hmm. just for the sake of not having to talk about it again when we see him <laughs> two more times and this you know and and what have you but it's we've we've mentioned his name enough that it warrants saying something and i think like you mentioned with with brainiac and even sinestro we we do get those little like previously on whatever and we see kind of like the last time we saw them that is important with multiple man it's just like boy i sure hope he doesn't show up oh my god there he is and it's <laughs> it's kind of okay um, it's arbitrary at times. God, could you imagine if every time he showed up, it was with, like, the Seinfeld base? That would be hilarious. I would pay money for that. <laughs> um, we're going to move on to uh, Wonder Woman number 
36, February 1963, a group of, I don't know, lost in space robots decide that they're going to try and invade Earth and they shoot Wonder Woman with a, a dart that makes her grow uncontrollably. And eventually she grows so large that she becomes a menace to society and the fact that she would need to eat like all of our resources to survive and she's too big to be in a city so she decides to launch herself into space where the cosmic radiation shrinks her back down and she defeats the robot invasion uh big big points of note for me in this issue there is the world's largest sandwich and the world's <laughs> largest pizza that she eats that are both at a fair in whatever city i i'm sure it's dc but they have never set a city for her anymore, and they aren't stating a singular place anymore for her setting. I'm just going with the default idea that it's Washington, D.C., because that's where Steve would likely be stationed as a military intelligence officer and a colonel. But, you know, until somebody corrects me or we read something that says they're in Akron, Ohio, like in Superman, I'm just going to say they're in Washington, D.C. Um the sandwich and pizza are important. They're for charity. It takes you, you know, one dollar gets you one bite of each. And they're fairly large, even for giant-sized Wonder Woman. Um, I had to stop reading that issue to look at the sandwich to ponder over how much cold cuts would be needed to make that, let alone what size the slices would be and the lettuce. And, the, and I'm like, that. there's no way that's holding together. And there's no way any person who takes a bite of it is getting anything satisfying. Because at a certain point, you're just tunneling into it to make sure that you get bread and filling. Someone has to be eating just bread because the, the bun on either side is not going to be bitten into. And just that doesn't seem equitable. These are the things that I think about when reading Wonder Woman comics that are really important to me. Um, the pizza alone, you got to bite through that crust for a while. That's got to cost you like five, six dollars to take like enough bites. I don't know. This, is, this was important to me, but we're going to move on. I know, Joanne, stop. I, we haven't bought you lunch yet. I know. Wonder Woman number 137, April 1963. Wonder Woman and Steve have been taken to a robot Amazon world that is very much like our own. And uh, Wonder Woman must fight for Steve because robot Wonder Woman is all about Steve. And she's like, well, if you don't appreciate him, I want him. So Wonder Woman now has to basically fight for Steve's affection in some very deadly tournament combat moments. And eventually she wins, of course, because she's Wonder Woman and she's the star of the show. And she gets Steve back, and we find out that Steve had been hypnotized the whole time because he wasn't responding to her when she was making pleading uh, gestures to him to get him to say, like, I don't want to be with the robot chick. Um, but just a point of fact, at the start of this issue, Wonder Woman very soundly rejects Steve a number of times after he very grossly proposes to her in a number of ways that, you know, I got I to gotta say, our... our really uncomfortable because he kind of traps her yep. to get her alone so that he can propose to her because there will be nothing that she needs to save or no one that she needs to help in situations that she can then say like, oh, I've got to do go do this and then avoid answering his question when he proposes to her. And Wonder Woman very clearly states, and this is just a 60s idea of marriage as well as patriarchy, that if she gets married to Steve, she can't do superheroing anymore which is completely patently untrue she can be married to steve and still be a superhero but apparently the writers disagree and we all know how i feel about robert kaniger i'm pretty sure he was still writing these um yeah. but it's there's a lot of really gross 
misogyny in this issue that is also not consistent with how Wonder Woman then acts after she's trying to save Steve. Because then it's like when she can't have Steve and Steve doesn't want to be with her, then she's like, oh my God, no, I need to make sure that Steve loves me, but I'm also never going to marry him. And it's like, this sends so many of the wrong signals to a lot of people reading this comic. And it's very uncomfortable. I've, I've got a rant about this. I'll get to uh, We'll do it at the end. But I, I think the only two times I didn't fucking hate Steve this entire sequence of issues that we read was last issue where his he was genuinely concerned for Diana and well for Wonder Woman let's let's be clear I guess uh, and his interactions with her were largely uh, or were often oh I have to pay for this giant novelty food thing that she ate that is the one like valuable contribution he has he makes in the entire sequence of issues and. The other time when I didn't absolutely loathe him was when he wasn't talking during this issue, during the points where he was hypnotized. Yep. I, I 100% agree. And for, uh, retro, for reference, paying for the sandwich and the pizza was for charity. So not only did he pay for it to feed Wonder Woman, he also gave a bunch of money to charity. So, hooray. We're going to move to Wonder Woman number 138, May 1963. Wonder Girl, Wonder Woman, and Wonder Tot. So you know that this is an impossible tale because the three of them can't be in the same place at the same time in reality. Uh, compete for a fancy kite by having a competition to see who can have the coolest kite-based adventure. Which is really just so dumb. Uh, spoiler alert, they fight multiple men. Because if it's the three of them in the same story, they're likely either fighting multiple men or doing something completely ridiculous. Wonder Woman number 139, July 1963. Wonder Woman gets amnesia and thinks that she's just Diana Prince dressed as Wonder Woman. And Steve doesn't believe this and tries to prove that she is, in fact, Wonder Woman. And at one point, he believes that both Diana and Wonder Woman are the same person and when Wonder Woman gets her memory back she realizes she has to do a switcheroo type situation to convince Steve that they are not the same person by having a shadow puppet of Diana pop up in her office and then realizing that Steve's too dumb to like go in and check and see that that's actually Diana so you know whatever works um, body count for Wonder Woman in this story though because she blows up a submarine with its own missile um, so she gets a Gimli, which is the first time in a while we've seen a body count. Hooray, Wonder Woman's mm -hmm. on the board. Wonder Woman number 140, August 1963. Morpheus, the god of dreams, uh, comes to Diana while she's musing in her office as Diana Prince and uh, gives her some what-if scenarios if a bunch of characters got all their dreams uh, granted as wishes. And so she says, what would Mr. Genie, uh, Wonder Tot's best friend, who is the giant genie, wish for? And uh, Mr. Genie wishes to not be alone on his island and have Wonder Tot with him for a thousand years, which, of course, in one day, Wonder Tot, Wonder Tot causes enough uh, chaos that he immediately regrets the wish. Uh, Merboy wishes for Wonder Girl to be a mermaid like him so they could spend all this time together. But of course, Wonder Girl being down there with him um, means that she's also being pursued by all the other merboys. So he's, you know, butted out of the situation. And then she's like, I wonder what the Duke of Deception, my, one of my greatest rivals from Mars, thinks, which is like the first time in forever we've seen the Duke of Deception. I don't think even in the Silver Age we'd seen the Duke of Deception up until this point. He was a Golden Age villain, which was strange as hell. Um, but the Duke of Deception's 
wish come true as a dream is for Wonder Woman to turn into a human lightning rod to just emit electricity and destroy the Amazonian homeland without even having to lift a finger, which is insane. Um, Wonder Woman number 141, October 1963. Angleman, hey, he's back. Uh, Angleman, Fireworks Man, and Mouse Man compete for the Golden Wonder Woman, which is effectively just the Academy of Villains Oscar. There's a lot going on here in this issue. Everybody keep up. Um, there's apparently an awards show for the underground, and one of the one of the trophies they give away is a Golden Wonder Woman statue to the person that they think is going to beat or has bested Wonder Woman so far. And they're all competing to do this, and Angleman tries to get Wonder Woman uh, in a tight spot by pretending he's reformed and getting Wonder Woman to allow him to tie her up with the lasso of truth, which makes her powerless. Because um, now we're going to change that rule uh, and, and bring that back. Because we haven't really talked about that in the Silver Age, but in the Golden Age, if she was bound by any man, she lost all of her power. And now we've like made it very specific to if she's bound by anyone by her own lasso, she loses her power. So uh, Angleman ends up binding her. But of course, wherever they are that he's bound to is incredibly dangerous and he needs her help to get out. So she is freed and she beats him. Fireworks Man is literally just some guy who turns himself into fireworks, like a living cloud of fireworks, and that's never explained. We never see how that happens. It's just a dude walking out of a firework factory that just looks like a giant silhouette made of fireworks. It's really hard to describe. Um, and he tries to kill Wonder Woman. Guess where? At the circus. On a roller coaster. What do we say, everybody? Nothing good ever happens at the circus. Especially if you're a superhero, because firework creatures will try and kill you on a roller coaster. It's dumb, it's weird, but also it was like, oh, a named bad guy for once. Um, it, this whole issue felt, it was a change of pace, and I mm -hmm. did enjoy both, I did enjoy both Fireworks Man and Mouse Man or whatever. Oh yeah, <laughs> Mouse Man is great. Mouse Man is just a guy the size of a mouse who, you know, gives Wonder Woman a run for her money because he's so tiny and hard to beat that's it and he's also dressed like a mouse which is yeah really the, oh the the panel there's a panel that's just <laughs> like his face and it's just i do not feel great about this face <laughs> it's pretty great i love it um that's a there's a lot that happening in that story she she eventually lets mouse man capture her so that she can be brought to the academy of villains and then take down the entire building herself uh, with her strength, and then captures Mouse Man. They put him in a tiny little bird cage because he's so tiny that a regular jail cell wouldn't be small enough for him. Uh, Wonder Woman number 142, November 1963. This is the last issue that we're going to cover uh, in this stretch. Wonder Woman, Wonder Tot, Wonder Girl, and Hippolyta all get transported to a mirage dimension. That is, you know, where giant versions of them of themselves live. So giant Wonder Woman, giant Wonder Tot, giant Wonder Girl, giant... Hippolyta, uh, are all also hunting for something out in the forests of Paradise Island because the original versions of our crew are hunting for a fancy, fancy bug to win a competition because, God, the Amazons are bored. Um, <laughs> you know, they could do all sorts of things like stop world hunger with all their technology or destroy, you know, war as we know it. But you know what? Fuck it. Let's find a bug. Um, and while they're finding this bug, they get transported to the giant dimension, and the giant versions of themselves think that they are tiny insects. So the entire issue is spent avoiding the giant versions of themselves and getting back to the regular universe, um, which was interesting and very, um, very challengers of the unknown. 
Huh. Yeah. Okay. You know, I not not a not a traditional Wonder Woman story in terms of like how sci-fi it was because they're like, look, they're trying to pin us like samples into this jar and we're being ammonia and we have to like jump on bugs to solve our. It was it was good. It was just like I did not see this going this direction because Wonder Woman stories are usually so formulaic at this point with their absurdity. I don't know. Like maybe it's just because I was coming up on the end. And this was the last issue, and maybe I was just ready to be done. I I wasn't. I wasn't put off by it. I just, there was nothing interesting here for me. What about the fact that they were giant versions of them was used that was different than if the, it was just giants who didn't talk? Uh, yeah. It didn't, it didn't do anything interesting with that for me. So I don't no. know. Like, it wasn't bad. I mean, it, it just didn't click. Yeah, it wasn't my favorite issue of the, of the lot, but it was okay. just like, oh, look, it's not multiple man. True. You know? <laughs> 100%. For once, for once, the story is not multiple man or some bizarre visitation by a fan. Um, yeah, the distinct lack of Merboy was nice. He was only really in one issue. And in that one issue, he was a big piece of work and I hated him. And but, hmm. is now the time for me to talk about that issue and the thing that I hated about it? Yeah, I think you really should. I think I think a lot of these stories were pretty straightforward and we enjoyed the variety of enemies that we saw and the weird sort of like, I mean, before we go into your rant, mm-hmm. it was really cool. The, the wonder woman growing tall issue was very mm-hmm. Superman. You know, that was, that was not like, Oh my God, this is so great. But I'm like, this is different. Or the crime, you know, Academy trying to get an award was very flash. Um, there were good issues that were using the gimmicks of other heroes that showed how well Wonder Woman could work if given proper villains and proper actual plotting. I was like, these give me hope for the character. If you go back to Steve Trevor-centric shenanigans, you lose me. Yeah. And I think that is a good place to pick up on your point and I think with both Steve and Reno. I think I want to start with Reno slash Merboy because it's actually two different things there, but I think they build in a similar direction. So there was the story about Morpheus granting uh, wishes to people and or rather letting them see what the outcome of the wishes would be. Yeah, giving them dreams. Yeah. Dreams of their greatest wish being fulfilled. And... Two of them specifically, the the first two, not not the Duke of Deception, who cares, uh, but the wish fulfillment for Mr. Genie and for Merboy. The thing that hits me with that is they are calling to attention, the story calls to attention, or calls attention to a an issue of the dynamics between them and Wonder Woman of the various ages. Uh, in the case of Wonder Tot, it's that Mr. Mr. Genie just doesn't, he is a hapless put upon person when it comes to having adventures. He likes spending time with Wonder Tot, clearly. And that is good. And I, I actually like that dynamic. Uh, yeah. But he is not at that high of energy. And for Merboy, it's the fact that he has utterly unresolved issues with jealousy about how other people are going to be idolizing uh, the person who he wants to be his girlfriend. And 
the thing that I hate about this story is that the, the oh, it was just a dream is, or first off, the situation is utterly normal and predictable if they got the thing that they wanted. It's not anything they haven't already faced. It's something that happens every, every time that those characters show up. There is that jealousy. There is that I don't have the energy or desire to keep up with you on these adventures. I'm hapless and put upon. This isn't revealing anything. It's something that already exists. And there is nothing reveal there isn't even the token of oh how can i make this work theoretically like the, they just wake up and they're like oh man i'm glad that was just a dream i mean if that's your takeaway from this then you should stop wanting to hang out with wonder todd all the time you should stop wanting to date uh wonder girl yeah or, they don't learn a lesson yeah yeah or the lesson is man I should figure out the right way to do this because there is there is a way that you could even like have that set up and then not have it deliver in any later issues. But you can have Merboy especially be like, okay, maybe I just maybe I just want to hang out with her. Uh, maybe I need to work on my jealousy, or maybe maybe it's even I need to prove to myself or prove myself to that I am worthy of her attention separate from everybody else, or maybe we're just going to hang out like on the shores of Themyscira, something. But it's just, well, th I'm sure glad that didn't happen, but I'm going to keep wishing it did anyways. And it feels like this is an instance where it's not product of plot in the same way, but it is the writer saying it's the important thing is the twist that it wasn't that it didn't really come true, and you have to keep doing the thing. It was a status quo monkey's paw. Yes. Yeah. That's a really good way to put it. That is a really good way to put it. Uh and it just the point of the monkey's paw is you learn from it. And in the case of the monkey's paw specifically, it's, oh, you're not going to do it again. You don't actually want the thing. It wasn't worth the cost. Uh, but even this could be like, oh, well, I, I need to go about this in a different way. But it's just not that. It's the writer is so committed to the status quo that they don't, that Kaniger doesn't want to do anything different. It's just, this was a story just for a twist it wasn't anything else. Yeah. And again, it is important to acknowledge that the concept of character progression and, you know, evolution over time really isn't something that's going on at this stage in comics. And we, we run into this every time we remember that we've only mm -hmm. moved two years, but we've read, you know, <laughs> 7,000 comics in those two years. And also we need to acknowledge that Kaniger just isn't that good of a writer. Yeah. And we know that from the other stuff that he's written. But it is important to acknowledge that this is, you know, if you've gone a couple of years and your character hasn't changed or evolved and really what you're doing is just writing the same thing to get money, presumably this is paying off. You know, financially, we don't know. On DC's side, they could be having numbers that suggest that this is what they want, which is what we yeah. talked about last time that said if they had, you know, the user data to support the fact that these, you know, Wonder Woman, Wonder Girl, Wonder Tot stories are, are big hits, then just keep doing it. Obviously, don't not do it. But stories for the sake of 
maintaining the status quo in such a way that you don't even go anywhere is really kind of a waste of time. Because if you think about it, Superman stories that maintain the status quo, where Superman has to make sure that his secret identity doesn't get found out by Lois Lane, which we even have one of these stories within this, this batch of Wonder Woman issues that we read, um, where she gets amnesia and then she has to maintain her status quo at the end of the story. Those, while predictable, and while never offering a surprise in this era of comics, are still entertaining. Mm-hmm. Because a journey occurs in that storyline. When you add Monkey's Paw was with It Was All Just a Dream, you've gone in two different loops. Because Monkey's Paw maintains, you know, is a very traditional story storytelling sequence of like, I get the thing I want and it's awful. But also to maintain the status quo with it is like, well, I guess I'm not going to do that. And then to also say that like, none of that even actually happened. So none of those events actually occurred. It was all just a dream. What did we do this for? No one's learning a lesson. No one's actually going and doing anything. This is just in their minds. Is this literally for everyone's entertainment, even the characters within the story? This is as weird as them watching a movie. Me reading them watch a movie. Even more than that, I'm going to say a thing and then I'm going to make a comparison to something you've said in the past. Uh, it's, it, it establishes that the thing that the person wants is untenable, that the, situa- that the status quo is untenable, and then it tenables the status quo. Uh, and it has the players commit, the the characters commit to that. The thing that the connection that I just made in my brain, you talked about one of the thing, one of the pieces that turned you off of uh, Family Guy was an episode where I believe it was that an episode where Meg uh, pointed out just how shitty everyone was to Meg, and then everything went back to the status quo there wasn't even a storyline about it the other thing that goes through my brain is uh house when there there was a story arc that just turned me off of house where he went there was a long arc about uh he had an addiction to various medications and eventually he got away with it and then the story kept going he faced repercussions the repercussions went up going away and everything stayed the same uh i feel I don't like being told this is untenable and the characters acknowledge it. Uh, and then it's just going to keep going and not have that be like some kind of dramatic thing of, oh, this is going to build. You're you're putting this off. Anyways, uh, yeah, it, I just don't like it. It becomes tired. That's a good word for it. If the point of your situation is to never change the status quo, i.e. a sitcom, yeah, I can understand the idea of having a storyline where suddenly the vindication a character gets can be refreshing, but then when you give that when you, it's like it's like letting a, a greyhound race dog catch the rabbit and then expecting it to race again. You can't give me something I want to see and then never do it again. Cuz now I've seen it and now all I'm going to think about is the thing that I watched and it's going to ruin the way that I enjoy this thing forever. Mm-hmm. You know, if, in the example with Meg from Family Guy Watching her get the vindication by chewing everybody out in the family was great because of how terrible she'd been treated throughout the series. And then to never acknowledge that 
ever again only makes me think about the one time I got the thing that I wanted. And it sours the rest of my viewing experience. In terms of, let's say, Batman. Here's a comics-related example. The Court of Owls. Where the hell have they gone? Didn't that explain why Batman was really bad at helping Gotham? Because there was actually a group of individuals who were actively working against him to make Gotham terrible? That was interesting. That explained so many things. And then he got rid of them. And Gotham still sucks. Now you have no excuse for how bad this city is, and it's just you. Now all I can think about is how bad you are at this. It's a bait and switch. And they're really bad decisions to make, unless you are going to bring that back again at a later date to have a character go, hey, didn't I do this already? Like, in Flash Season 1, or it's hard to remember, in The Flash, they talk about time travel manipulation in the television series in the CW. I'm not going to say spoiler alert because the show's been out for years, guys. Watch the TV show. One of the original episodes, he discovers time manipulation because he does something differently during, you know, by way of the Speed Force and tries to make the world fit the future he saw. In doing so, he fucks up the future. And then in later episodes, we see parallels to those instances that he saw in the false future. That is an interesting way of rewarding someone from seeing a monkey's paw and showing the character those same moments again and allowing them to do things differently with the information that they now have. That is how you can do that. Versus if you look at the Superman stories where where Lois Lane and, and Lana Lang get married to Superman, those work out. In, like, the Superman Red and the Superman Blue story we read in one of the last runs we did of Superman, those were what-if scenarios where everything worked out okay. So there wasn't really a monkey's paw there to make us go, like, ah, it won't work. Like, the the couple times we saw the super, you know, Wonder Woman, or no, not Wonder Woman, uh, Lois Lane and Lana Lane go with Superman. It was, like, you know, Hercules and um, Samson. And they couldn't deal with these modern women, and the modern women couldn't deal with these archaic men. And it was like, ah, that's kind of a monkey's paw. Where you learn a lesson about these different ideas clashing, that's similar, but not the same thing. Or Superman actively making Lois's life hard when being her husband so that she doesn't want to be married to him anymore is not really a monkey's paw because he's actively working against it. It's not she got what she wanted because she actually didn't get what she wanted. She got a fake version of it. There are ways to do these types of stories. This is just a waste of time. There's another example I'm going to pull on that feels like an untenable situation. This is my neat little segue. Uh, And it's Xander in the first couple seasons of Buffy, who is just shitty to Buffy. Just entitled to her time uh mopey and petty and sniping and there is absolutely a point where it just as a viewer i'm just thinking there is doesn't matter anything else that this guy does he is a shitty friend it does not balance out uh and unfortunately steve trevor is our xander Mm. and i'm drawing that comparison that comparison came to me 
oh, when reading through these specifically, let me look at my notes on this one. So Steve holds the fact that Diana isn't interested right now against her. He's shitty. He's petty about it. He snipes. He feels entitled to her. And it's worth noting, this is not like a partner saying that the other person needs better work-life balance and that they need to prioritize the other person. It's not one of those, hey, like, this is part of the deal. Like, you, we need to both invest time in this relationship. This is a situation where Wonder Woman... One woman feels like not the CEO who is neglecting the family, but the like the career executive who has said like, "Hey, I am going to make time. We're going to hang out, but I might I might have to go in on the weekends sometimes. I might get a call, and I'm gonna have to do that." She has clearly laid out her boundaries of this is this is part of my identity and. I'm happy to make this work in this way that we do of going out occasionally and hanging out and even fighting crime together. But this is, this is how it's going to work. And if not, well, like she is not, she is explicitly not taking on the added commitment of being married. She is making that choice that, yeah, I'm not going, I'm not going to, I'm not going to promise something that I can't fulfill. Uh, and Steve is just entitled to her or he feels entitled to her and he acts like that. And every time he does something to help her, he basically says, and now we're, see, we should just get married. You should just stop doing this. Uh, and it sucks. And the bit that especially sucks, I actually went back through, uh, and I noticed that it felt like the Wonder Woman story specifically, the stakes that are in play for those stories often feel like it's either protecting the Earth from an alien invasion of some kind, or it's dealing with the Steve plus Wonder Woman relationship. Like, that is part of the stakes. And on the one hand, like, if this were handled better, like, I think it usually is with Merboy and Wonder Girl, it, at least it feels better to me then the the personalization of the the stakes of the conflict i think that that kind of thing can, works great like i am a sucker for that and we've talked about like i like soap opera i like having that grounding in personal stakes i like that kind of thing and it sucks that this is so personalized for one for wonder woman but it just hurts and in terms of numbers, so I did I did my classic thing of go through and look at all the old stories from number one. Uh, what was it? Uh, looking at my notes, number one hundred six through uh, where we got today, which is one forty two. So, of those, there were twenty eight Wonder Woman only stories, starting with number one hundred six. Of those. 13 featured stakes of protecting the earth and 12 featured stakes of the Steve plus Wonder Woman relationship. Uh, and if we're looking at one uh, issue 123 and up, then it's of 14 stories, five had the earth and nine had Steve plus Wonder Woman relationship. So this is, this is not omnipresent, but a, a large amount, not quite majority of the stories feature as a prominent piece of the stakes, this relationship 
and it just sucks. And we can compare this, interestingly, to another another type of story that has a similar, you know, uh, romantic subplot. Let's say The Flash. Mm-hmm. Barry and Iris frequently on and off again. There are consequences to the relationship situations that occur issue to issue between Barry proposing and I and him and Iris being engaged to her being like, I don't want to deal with you for a while. There's a whole issue of Barry trying to make her think about him so they can get back together. Also shitty. But there is a dynamic there that is very similar, but there are consequences to those actions. I wouldn't mind this so much if there were consequences to Steve's actions. Yes. If for two issues, Wonder Woman started dating a different guy just because Steve had been a dick. You know, or, you know, when she was a kid, she met, I don't know, any other mythical half-boy creature and started hanging out with that kid for a while instead of, you know, Merboy. Having consequences to the situation allow it to make actual sense and have some stakes. Without the stakes, we run into the same problem I have with, with Lois Lane and Superman. If you're Superman... And your secret identity is Clark Kent. And you see how Lois Lane treats someone that she doesn't like. Why are you into her? If you watch her shit talk, berate, talk down to, mock and make fun of, and steal the work from your secret identity, doesn't that show you a side of that person that you don't really like? Conversely, with Wonder Woman, if you watch him, if you watch Steve talks so much crap about Diana Prince. Is he really a good dude? He talks major smack about other women and mocks them and is very catty about them and superficial. Is he really a good guy? These are questions I feel like should be asked. Yeah. And it it feels like a failure of the writer that they are never asked there is never the consequences frankly i don't think i i i don't see anything in this writing that make in the structure of the stories especially that makes me think that kaniger believes steve is acting wrongly which you know i buy i uh i i 100% believe that Kaniger thinks that Steve is being somewhat childishly romantic. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing. Is it's like, oh, what could you expect from a guy in love? This is a natural consequences. It's the <laughs> what? It's the uh, look what zero sex does to a motherfucker. Mm-hmm. This is very boys will be boys. Yeah, and it's gross because conversely, yep. the situation because Kaniger is also writing Flash occasionally next to John Broom. Kaniger occasionally might write the Barry Iris situation as Iris being unreasonable. Kaniger tends to write on the side of the masculine, despite the main character being a woman. And that is very weird. Because, um, you know, from time to time, obviously, like, say, <laughs> say last episode, where Merboy got a different girl that he was hanging out with. And immediately Wonder Woman 
or Wonder Girl was like incredibly jealous. Not, oh, thank God, I finally got what I wanted and now I can have a friendship with him that's normal. She immediately had to now become the, the object of his affection. The women that Kaniger writes are incredibly fickle and say one thing and mean another. Or the men that pursue them won't take no for an answer and it is portrayed as charming uh, pursuit and uh, dashing endurance. He has a very toxic idea of what love and masculinity and femininity are. Really probably shouldn't be the guy writing Wonder Woman at all. But it's the 60s. Other people probably thought the same way that he did. It doesn't really serve to, you know, finger wag at Kaniger, because if I'm not mistaken, he's dead. <laughs> and what's that going to do? But the point still stands. This is a troubling thing to see in a, in a story centered around a female character. The thing that's gone through my head is Kaniger writes like the friend zone is a thing. Kaniger writes yeah. like a like the shitty version of a pickup artist, the idea of, oh, X behavior leads to Y outcome or Y response from a woman. Kaniger says females a lot. He's very much the guy who thinks that if I put enough time and friendship tokens into a relationship, I will eventually get paid out with the relationship and sex that I want. Or at the very least, I should. Yeah. And on a moral level. Exactly. And because both Merboy and Steve continue to get to be able to take out Wonder Woman at different parts of her life, they're never being told that what they're doing is wrong. Mm -hmm. She's never actively avoiding hanging out with them because she still finds them attractive and endearing in her own way or in their own way, but she's never reprimanding them for them clearly annoying her. And whenever she does reprimand them, they immediately get some other girl to focus on and then she becomes jealous. To Robert Kaniger, no doesn't mean no. Yeah. It means try harder. Yep. And that is gross it's 100 percent gross the other thing that came from uh me going back and looking at a bunch of old issues was a couple stats about uh things that we kind of figured were the case and definitely are uh starting with the first time that we got the like all three ages uh kind of story uh and i say all three ages but it's actually four because you also get uh hippolyta yeah uh, but of the 28 stories starting with the first time that appeared, which was in uh, number 123, 10 of the 28 stories were all three ages. 10 of 20 issues were all three ages. And it's it's not that it came out of nowhere, uh, because I had forgotten about this. There were like Wonder Woman and Wonder Girl stories. And then it was Wonder Girl, Wonder Woman, and Hippolyta. And then Wonder Woman, Wonder Girl, Hippolyta, and Wonder Tot. Uh, and that was when certainly it ramped up. But it, it didn't come from nowhere. Like, w as soon as they introduced, like, alt versions of Wonder Woman, we started seeing uh, those team-ups. So it's... I like them, but there's nothing special to them. It's just, oh, these are, these are kind of whimsical. All right. Uh, the one other thing in there... Uh, one of the things I realized going through, like I cataloged the di all the different stakes for all the different stories. And the thing I realized was that kind of crystallized why I'd liked Wonder Girl stories in the past. I don't mind any of the stakes in them. Like protecting yeah. Earth is kind of bland uh, because it's so often just, oh, 
a city being attacked, but Wonder Girl is protecting Themyscira specifically. She is trying to prove herself for uh, to be Wonder, Wo- Wonder Woman eventually. She is having a birthday party that uh, she's dealing with Reno. Uh, all of those are stakes that I am personally like okay or invested in. I like how much of a, maybe not a character Themyscira is, but not far from it. It's certainly more of a city that it is more of a place than DC, question mark. <laughs> and to your point, not that you're not saying this, but similarly, Adam Strange stories feel the same to me. Hmm. Because you're either on Ran or Earth, but anything that normally happens is happening to Ran, and it happens to the whole planet. The scale is magnified, but it is one location, and they have the relationship with Alana, it has the Zeta Beam problem, and what's happening on Ran. That is, to me, Wonder Girl stories read very similarly. Something is happening to Paradise Island, she's got a boyfriend, something magical might occur. You've got three things that contain her within a box that makes her stories. Uh, it gives her a sandbox to play in. Yeah. The one last thing that I've got is utterly unrelated to any of this, but it stood out like a sore thumb to me. We've talked about how one of my favorite like panel compositions is three panels in a row where something shows the passage of time. Uh, the classic is like the the Flash running closer and closer uh, or moving further along a thing that he's running along. They did five of these little triptychs in issue number... I don't remember offhand which one it was, but it's uh, where she's growing. Uh, mm-hmm. And in part because it it is such a natural fit, she is growing through that the whole issue. So you have a lot of, oh, she's getting bigger. Uh, but five of those in like a 23 issue or 23 page story was uh too much of a good thing for me (laughs) yeah it's a lot of it's a lot of panels devoted to that gag yep remember everybody the rule of threes uh do we move on to recommendations i think so all right my recommendations or recommendation for this episode watch the invincible show it is really really good uh, the voice acting is top-notch. The animation and art fit the style of the comic very well. They have made some creative choices that are different from the comic that I think suit the cartoon very well that do not fundamentally change it um, outside of the original core canon, but I think add to it in a way that updates it very well for an you know early 2000s, mid-2000s comic that started. Um, it is just really good. It is graphically violent, so be warned, but there is not a lot of, like, other types of violence, no real sexual violence, no real, um, not actually, like, they're, they're swearing, but, like, not Sopranos level is a swearing. You know, it's a bunch of teenagers being superheroes or some adults dealing with some big friggin' scary stuff, so they're swearing at appropriate times. It's a good show. I would suggest you watch it. I'll also suggest that you read the comic. They are both very good. Nice. On my end, I've I've been reading a lot of uh, I've I've finally been doing the uh, the Hubble Bundle backlog of comics uh, hey. and going back through and just okay, I'm gonna read this for a little while uh, and then 
uh, potentially get bored and switch over to something else. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give a negative recommendation. Not that you shouldn't, not that you shouldn't read this, but that you shouldn't read it out of order. Uh, I mm. think that's actually the recommendation there. Uh, cause I, I've been enjoying reading to varying degrees, uh, elephant men and kill six billion demons, uh, once in future King, which is, uh, Kieran Gillen, always highly recommended anything by him. Uh, but I made the mistake of reading, uh, elephant men out of order. This is your, the, you know what? This is my recommendation. Don't assume that volume zero is the first thing that came out. Oh no. <laughs> Cause so elephant, elephant men is actually, it, it's interesting and I'll actually go through the setup really briefly, uh, just to give it some grounding. It is 200 years in the future, uh, genetically modified, like human animal hybrids got created big old war. Uh, they were rehabilitated, uh, and cause they were being used as living weapons and, Flash forward a couple of years, the comic picks up with essentially the a couple characters are noir detectives, uh, and they're uh, one of them is an elephant man, which is sort of where the the name comes from. And Volume Zero starts in the middle of the war, oh, so no. everything in the like comic where it starts is hey, let's talk about like the humanity of people who are dealing with the percept the question of are are these people human uh do they have in, an intrinsic humanity or was the way they were raised uh like did it break them does that history uh how heavy does that history hang over them and i just started off with no these people are these these things are monsters and let's look at this from the perspective of the people who fought them in the war and it's oh. I, like it was it wasn't bad necessarily. It, it was like, eh, this is okay. Like there's a cool idea here. There's some cool stuff in here, but man, this feels like it's going some squeaky places. And then, and then I look it up and then I switch over and it's, Oh, Oh, this is completely different. And I should not have been making, I, I, I got completely the wrong idea about where this was going. An intentionally poor perspective for the sake of narrative. A exactly that. Uh, Stuff that is interesting when viewed in contrast to the thing that had been set up in the main plot line, but it's just like, oh, nope. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Well, do, do your research, know what volumes you're reading before you start yes. reading them. <laughs> now you know. Uh, well, that's it for single character books. <laughs> now we're going to move on back to the Justice League. And hopefully, Gardner Fox will have something fun for us. Who knows? It's always a mixed bag with, with Gardner. Uh, thank you for coming on this journey with us with Wonder Woman. We will see you all next time. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It was better than Metropolis. Sometimes we had to remind ourselves of that, but it really was. Our time with Wonder Woman stories was sometimes impossible, and our time with Steve Trevor was always aggravating, but it was still generally enjoyable. With our long circuit of the early 60s done, it was time for us to return to Gardner Fox and the Justice League.